In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. So today, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about assimilation. Assimilation is when a person from one culture is exposed to another culture, and then they begin to adopt some of that other culture's customs or practices. And I have a pretty good experience of this in my own life. I was born and raised in New York, and while I don't have a New York City accent, I'm not, hey, you guys over there, I still talk like a New Yorker because that's where I'm from. A few years ago, I moved to North Carolina, and they do not talk the same way there. So I'm living there for a year, and I couldn't tell you exactly when, but all of a sudden, the word y'all came out of my mouth. Well, let's just say that's not a New York word. I was living in a culture surrounded by people who said y'all. And without me even thinking about it, the language seeped into my vocabulary, and I began to say y'all as well. This idea of assimilation, it gets to really the heart of what Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 5, what God is talking about in that part. God is telling his people, the people of Israel, that they're supposed to leave behind the practices that they had learned in the land of Egypt. And they're not supposed to take up the practices that they're going to be surrounded by in the land of Canaan. Leave behind the practices of Egypt. Don't adopt the practices of Canaan, but instead live in accordance with his word and his will. But when God is saying to leave behind everything that they had learned in Egypt, does he mean everything? I mean, at this point, they'd been living there for over 400 years. It's the only place they'd ever lived. Surely many of them knew how to speak the Egyptian language. They'd probably learned new ways of making bricks, new weapons, new tools. Did they have to forget all of that? No. That's not the kind of thing that God was talking about. He was more so saying, hey, remember the land of Egypt where you were oppressed? where you were kept as slaves, where your sons were killed? Remember how they used to worship hundreds of gods and worship Pharaoh? Yet you're not going to do any of that. And then you're going to go into this land of Canaan, where you're going to be surrounded by people who sacrifice their children to this god Molech. And they're going to have these crazy sex parties for this god Baal. You're not going to do any of that either. No, you are going to be my people. You are going to live the way I tell you to, right here, right now, because that's where they are at this moment at Mount Sinai, where God is telling them all of his 613 commandments for how they are supposed to live their lives. And when it comes to Egypt, when it comes to the land of Canaan, you have to understand that these two moments mark probably the most important moments in the Israelite narrative of redemption. God had just, in his awesome might, sent the 10 plagues, he parted the Red Seas, and he delivered his people out of their oppression in Egypt. And he didn't just deliver them. He was about to give them this land, this promised land, that's gonna overflow with milk and honey. This land that was promised to their forefather Abraham 600 years ago. Here God is about to give them this promised land and here they are sandwiched in between these two momentous acts of God's love. His deliverance out of Egypt, his deliverance into the promised land. And sandwiched in between these acts is God's 
law, his will for their lives. Because in giving them his law and his will, his laws for how they are to live, God is telling his people, hey, you're my people. I have claimed you. I have delivered you, redeemed you, saved you. You are my people. And because you're my people, because I have claimed you, you're now gonna live the ways I tell you to. You're gonna live in accordance with my commands because I am making you a nation that is a priest of all nations. You are going to be a light into the world and a people set apart. Now this language of being a people set apart, of being a priesthood to the nations, of being a light to the world, it's probably got your ears perking up a little bit because that sounds familiar, right? It's the kind of language that Jesus himself uses when he talks to his disciples. Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth. You are a city on a hill and you are a light to the world. That's the funny thing about God. He doesn't change. God had himself a people. He had claimed the Israelites as his people and he made them his own. And then the Israelites were made to be a light to the nations and God fulfilled that mission when he sent Christ. He sent Christ to not be a light, but the light, the light for the entire world. And whoever looked at that light for salvation, well, they became God's chosen people. And even God's chosen people have a similar redemptive narrative. They were also delivered from oppression. Not oppression from the land of Egypt. No, God's chosen people now, they're delivered from sin and death. And God's chosen people, like the Israelites, they're going to be given a promised land. Not the promised land of Canaan, but the promised land of the resurrection, where they will live with Christ as the ruler for all of eternity. Brothers and sisters, I'm glad to tell you that you are all of God's chosen people. God has claimed you and made you his own. He has redeemed and saved you and delivered you. And all through Christ, he has claimed you as his precious children, as his people. And like the Israelites, God also has a will for how his people shall live. You're not supposed to live like they did in Egypt. And you're not supposed to live like they did in Canaan. And when we phrase it in terms of Egypt and Canaan, it makes sense in our minds because we recognize them to be these idolatrous, brutal, oppressive countries, these nations. But when we are called to be a people set apart in modern day America, it kind of doesn't make as much sense. It doesn't seem as necessary. That's because we live in a country where you're free to be set apart. That's the beauty that we just celebrated on the 4th of July. I mean, Christians, Jews, Hindus, Muslims, whatever your religious faith, you can walk that out without any legal consequences in the United States. But like Steve had alluded to last week, there are still broader cultural practices, well, even though they aren't enshrined in law, they still make it necessary for us to be a people set apart. A good example of this is the American work ethic. Americans, they work, and they work, and then they work some more. And believe me, work is not a bad thing. 
God put us on this earth specifically to work, to till the land and steward his creation. And God himself worked. He worked for six days, and then on the seventh day, he rested. He observed the Sabbath that he had created. And he commanded that, the, that his people also obey and honor the Sabbath, a day of mental, spiritual rest and meditation on his word. And now we obviously worship on Sundays, but the Sabbath can be observed any day of the week. But for most Christians, the Sabbath goes only as so far as they spend the one hour in church on a Sunday morning, maybe the odd potluck or so, then they go home, walk out the doors, and act as though it were any other day in the week. They go about working, whether it be running errands, doing their jobs, whatever it is, they forget about God's word. And now this isn't something that we intentionally choose to do. It's something that has seeped into our practice based on the culture that surrounds us. It's just the American way of living life. Another good example is American individualism, or more so American individual choice, like Aaron had mentioned. Americans prize choosing everything. You choose what sports team you want to root for. You choose what occupation you want to do. You choose what communities you want to belong to. Let's say, for instance, you get really into camping. You start going on these camping adventures with this group of people you really like, but then they start getting weird. They start cooking off of heated rocks, and they start eating worms from the dirt, and you're like, that's, that's too much. So you pull away. Because after all, your involvement with that community only goes insofar as you chose to be involved in that community. As soon as you choose to not be, well, you have every right to detach yourself from it. And unfortunately, this choice, this ability to choose, it even gets in the way of our American culture and our American Christian faith. You choose what churches you want to go to. You choose what doctrines you want to believe in. You choose who you want to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you choose how involved you want to be in your faith life. And as an American, you have every right to do that. In fact, you're celebrated for doing these things, for choosing but as a Christian, well, God tells us that that's not the right attitude. See, God has chosen you, and so you no longer have the ability to choose. You don't get to choose who to forgive. You don't get to choose who to love. You don't get to choose who to show God's mercy to. No, because God has chosen you, and he has made you his people out of his abounding love for you because he has claimed you, that choice has been taken away from you. And now I don't want you to get the impression that everything in American culture is bad. In fact, a lot of it is good, or at the very least, harmless, much like me saying the word y'all. But there are times where practices in the culture that surrounds us seep into our lives without us even thinking about it, and they make us do things that are against God's will and how we are supposed to live our lives. And so if there's anything to take away from today, it's that we should always be evaluating our actions in accordance with God's word and his will for our lives, and not in accordance with the broader culture that surrounds us. Just because everyone else around us is doing it, doesn't mean that we should also be doing it. After all, God has claimed you and made you his people.
He has claimed you and made you a people to be a light to the world. And through Christ, he has made you a people set apart. Amen.